this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's Middle Market Growth Magazine. Today, I'm excited to welcome back two guests who you may recognize from a podcast episode we released in the spring of 2019, which continues to be our most listened to episode. I'm joined again by Bob Ryan, a partner at Shields Manili Partners, a specialized career advisory and coaching firm, and Keith Gowdy, the managing partner at Vantage Leadership Consulting, which works with its clients to select, integrate, and develop world-class leaders. Bob and Keith, it's great to have you both back on the podcast. Great to be back. Thanks, Katie. When we recorded our interview a year and a half ago now, we talked a lot about what it takes to be successful as an executive at a private equity-backed company and some of the recruitment strategies being used in what was then a really tight labor market. The COVID crisis has since raised a whole new set of leadership issues and impacted the types of attributes that companies need within their C-suite. So those are some of the areas I thought we'd cover today. So let's start with executive talent planning. How should companies be thinking about hiring and the skills they need, especially as things are changing very quickly? You want to take that one first, Bob? Sure. One of the things that is really critical right now is that companies don't stop talent planning, literally forget to do talent planning. Uh, In this crisis, there's so many other things going on, trying to save your business, trying to um, manage through this uh, um, virtual environment, et cetera, it's easy to forget a couple of things. And one of those things is talent planning. So what we strongly suggest is that a concerted effort be made towards doing that. And talent planning is more than just hiring. It's also developing. And you might think hiring, okay, if there's a hole in, the, in our organization, we need to fill it. And you might have to do some different things to fill that position today. And in fact, that might even mean never meeting in person, the person that you're going to hire. And as you know, we work uh, with executives in transition, and we've had three situations in the last uh, several months where the individual, these are executives, C-level executives, was interviewed, given their offer, and started their first day remotely without meeting anybody in the company. That is something I would have never believed happened before, and just suggests and shows how important it is that uh, that, that companies be creative in this, in this new world. And in, you know, the other part of it, this is development. Talent development is also really important. How do you train people? How do you, how do you make sure that they're onboarding properly? All of those things are still critical. And uh, going back to those three people that I mentioned, what do their onboarding plans look like? Well, we had to help them develop them because the company wasn't doing it. Uh, so we actually did it for them. So all of this new COVID environment, uh, means that you have to be creative, but most important, you still have to do talent planning and you have to do hiring, etc. Just be a little bit more creative. Keith, what are your thoughts? I, I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting. Sometimes it can be a little obnoxious to talk about the future when you're talking to someone in 2020. And it makes me think of, a, of an executive who I work with, who once said, people who only talk about the future are obnoxious, which is just a very funny thing for someone to say, obviously tongue in cheek. But you do have to put a stake in the ground, right? For so long, we're just kind of in survival mode. And and who wants to go out and increase their workforce by 10% after just laying people off or going through a reduction in force? But you do have to put a stake in the ground because 
sometimes the biggest risk you can take is not having the people you need to serve your markets, especially for smaller firms, right? Middle market. You might have to start thinking about hiring people where three months ago you would think, I can't even imagine, but you have to do talent planning. And certainly what you look for in the success profiles might be changing, right? So what does it take for leaders and for managers to oversee a remote workforce? That's a really important thing to think about. And then, Bob, you got into uh, talent development. And one of my colleagues was in a recent HERMAC conversation, and they were just kind of replaying and re, you know, reinforcing what a lot of companies learned in the recession of 2008 and 2009 is we laid off learning and development people. We stopped investing in talent training and development. And they realized that, that was a mistake because they weren't able to just kind of shift back up a gear to when they are ready. So a lot of organizations are kind of re- rethinking what are they going to do around high potential identification and development. And to that point, to just follow up on, on what you raised, Bob, we have been doing more high potential development programs this year or, or launching new ones than, than in probably in any single year in the last eight years. So that's very interesting to us because you could easily think, well, that would be easily jettisoned. And just to, to add to that, Katie, one of the things that companies should consider, and I'm thinking of perhaps a small portfolio company uh, or even a private equity firm with a number of portfolio companies, if you don't know how to do it, ask for help. And, and companies like Vantage uh, are companies that can help you with that kind of work. Whereas we can help you with an individual coaching, uh, an, an executive that requires coaching, get help, get some advice, get a conversation partner, because you might not have the, the, the HR person on your team, or maybe the portfolio partners have an HR person, but get help if you need it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the importance of being able to manage remotely in this moment. Can you say more about that and, and also talk about what other leadership qualities may be more in demand now than they were before the onset of the virus? It's such an interesting question. One of the things you've heard talked about so much is, is wellness. And being a role model for wellness as a leader is more important than ever. And if you're the kind of leader who is still working 80 hours a week and expecting everyone on your team to keep up with you, you might be leaving some people behind. Um, you know, let's face it, COVID is a massive human tragedy in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I don't know about in your firm, Bob, but, you know, we're, we're coming across executives who have had suicides on their teams or in their organizations which then, how do you connect with people when a tragedy happens? Um, how do you communicate? So I think this is sort of a, for me, it just feels a little provocative that you have to be a role model for, for wellness and people have to, I think, believe that you care about their wellness. So some organizations, they might use workforce to make sure people are at their desks and at their computers ready to work. And I understand why some of them do that, but that doesn't exactly, it's a tricky, it's a tricky place to be, obviously. And then the other thought that just comes to mind is like, how do you reinvent yourself as a communicator? Some leaders were used to having town halls once a quarter, which seemed appropriate. What is your weekly communication cadence? And maybe it was different in April. What's it look like in September? Where does that go at the end of the year? 
what what do people need? They still need that sense of of connection. And like you said, Bob, you're on people are onboarding folks and they, they're not they, they're not meeting a person live. How do you create a sense of connection? And then the last thing I would say is how do you create a sense of purpose? You know, something we'll talk about later perhaps is what is your strategy for leading your team? And one of them has to be how do we create a sense of connection and purpose through the end of 2020 and beyond? So those are a few things that come to mind for me, Katie. Mm-hmm. Anything to add there, Bob? Well, I think that companies are learning and CEOs are learning how to communicate throughout this, this process. It's different. Uh, and as Keith said, the town hall or even the email or whatever update has to be different now. And what we've learned is that best practice for CEOs is to talk about wellness first and company second. And, and those that are doing that will get a lot more respect from, from their employees. The other thing is thinking about what's next. And uh, everybody talks about the new normal. And I, I belong to a couple of CHRO groups, one in, uh, one in North America, one in Europe. And what I'm hearing more in Europe is, for heaven's sake, let's not bounce back to where, what we were doing before when this is all over. Uh, let's think of bouncing forward. And in fact, in that bouncing forward, let's set a vision of what that looks like and maybe even skip a step as we bounce forward. So really be creative on what does work look like in, in, in the new world. And sort of staying on that same theme and going back to something you said earlier, Keith, you know, now that teams aren't able to be together physically and they likely won't be able to for quite a bit longer, what are some of the strategies you recommend for leading in this moment? One that comes right to mind is very simple and basic. More frequent touch points, shorter touch points. Um, In our firm, we've moved to weekly. And then we are always trying to manage um, Zoom overload or, or Skype overload or what, whatever it is, whenever you can do simply a conference call and not have to, to look at a, a, a bunch of people. Our brains aren't meant to look at 30 people on the screen and feel like you're having a, a meaningful interaction or not just kind of get overwhelmed by it all. So that's, that's one thing that comes right to mind. What is your strategy for that? Keith, we've moved to daily meetings. Mm. Uh, we have a daily half hour meeting uh, with our staff. Now, easy for us to do, we've got 10 people, but if you could think of a senior leadership team at a, at a large company, it's also probably 10 people. And a half hour touch point, sometimes even 15 minutes a day, has been working for us. And I, and I actually provide this advice to people that I'm coaching. Think about that. Think about, is it really overkill to do a quick touch point every day where people are saying what they're working on and, and, and also asking for help or showing where they need help? The other thing that is a best practice, leaders have said that they miss the opportunity to duck their head into an office right. and say, good job, Keith, good job, Katie, or that one minute coaching moment. And what we're advising our clients to do is to keep a pad of paper beside their computer. And when you think of one of those moments, you're not going to set up a Zoom call to tell Keith, you did a good job yesterday. But what I can do is send him a text or phone him. Those things are, doesn't, don't require a lot of planning and can be done very quickly. And keep that list to make sure that you're doing that because that's a big piece of what's missing in a virtual world. Katie, I've been experimenting with office hours. I feel like I'm back in college or, or grad school. But to your point, 
sometimes people want to check in for five minutes. They might even just want to say hi. And at least they know where I'm at. They can get me online. Some weeks, maybe no one comes by, but it's a practice I will, you know, if it's a year from now and we're quote back to normal, it's a practice that I will, I will take forward. And just one more observation on this. There's a researcher, Karen Lojeski, she writes on virtual distance. One of the things she talked about is you have to think about how you can reduce virtual distance because emails, texts, et cetera, kind of set the context. And it used to be unusual that you could work for a company and you haven't met your boss ever in person, or maybe it was only 20% of the workforce or something. And now that that's, be, that's going to become more the norm. So how do you not let video conference and email set the context for what it means to be on the team when that's maybe all we have for another year? That's, that's quite possible. So it, it does require, like you're saying, Bob, a little more creativity. How do you establish trust? How do you build bonds? How do you create a cadence for communication? It definitely requires us, us all to share some best practices and think about how do we do that when this is our reality? I'm also curious your thoughts on some of the new, you know, chat functionality that a lot of offices are using now, whether it's Slack or Microsoft Teams. You know, it's I've heard you say, you know, the importance of communicating and um, being able to be connected. On the other hand, is there the potential that you're going too far and, you know, we're we're so available all the time. You just have pings coming everywhere. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And there needs to be some balance. You're not going to spend your whole day doing emails and you don't want to spend your whole day doing virtual meetings. As I said, you don't want to forget those quick meetings, but too much is also, it, it's, it's like if I told Keith he did a good job every day, that would probably become annoying. Feel free to, Bob. Yeah. You've got, you've got to actually uh, think about the right balance and the impact of each one of those tools if it's used too much. In our firm, we, we try to, schedule most meetings between nine and four o'clock with a break for lunch. Now, if a client needs to talk to us at 7 a.m., then generally that's, that's what we'll do. So we also try to bring some parameters to it and we suggest this to our clients. So it isn't, the last thing you really want is to be online from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And all of a sudden you're thinking like, I can't look at this screen. We were just planning for an offsite. Every year we do an offsite in our firm and, uh, we were just thinking about how can we go take a walk and maybe connect via conference call for part of the offsite or what could we do? That would be fun. You know, all the people with dogs go, go take their dogs for a walk and send pictures and, and they get on a conference call with each other to talk about something related to the firm or, or just to uh, connect and do a sanity check, you know, just so there's a chance to, to, to not have to always be focused on some agenda. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a very creative uh, hiring situation that I came across with one of our clients. The CEO of the company that he had uh, was about to give him an offer realized that no one in the company had met him. So they actually went on a walk together. They both happened to live in New York City and he had a walking final interview uh, that lasted two hours and ended up in an offer. Sign of the creativity we need today. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'll, I'll throw this to you first, Bob, you know, the, the pandemic has intersected with a renewed push for social justice, including a call for more diverse and inclusive workplaces. That's a little bit more complicated right now while we're all working from home and some of the challenges that we've been talking about. Um, so I'm curious how leaders can push some of those diversity and inclusion initiatives forward and build a more inclusive culture while we're still working remotely. This past uh, 
six or seven months or whatever it is has been fascinating. Uh, if you think of the progression of the conversations, I belong to a group called the Sierra Institute, which is uh, CHROs from across uh, the United States. And we, we've been meeting every two weeks. And at the beginning, the conversation was this pandemic is a possibility. Then it's coming. Then it's here. Then employees are getting sick. Uh, and then all of a sudden, social justice became the main topic. Um, so we spent a lot of time talking about this whole issue of social justice. And, uh, and one of the best practices I've heard is deciding where you're going to start. So diversity is extremely important, but difficult to, it takes time to get there. Look at a picture of your uh, executive team. Chances are mostly white males. Um, so you can tell, but it's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take maybe years to get that right. But there is one thing that you can start today, and that's inclusion. So I've challenged the CEOs that I work with to challenge their teams to say, where do we start with inclusion? What, tell me five things that we can do to improve inclusion in our company. And, and we believe that if you do a really good job of inclusion, you'll get diversity. And it might not work the other way around. Keith, what do you think? We've been thinking a lot about this. And it's interesting how the millennial generation in particular is just completely captivated and focused on taking inclusion to a much higher level. And that's a big part of our firm. So we, we have to make sure that we as a firm are doing the right thing. So when we talk to clients about it, we have to talk about what are we doing? So first we have to think about that. Uh, you were asking before what kind of qualities are really important in leaders, just inclusion in general. Do you have an inclusive leadership style? Really important to, to whether you lead a, a high performing team or not, or if you're going to have good engagement. There's an, an executive that we've known for, for a long time. And uh, what he advised us is, He's a black executive, you know, has led at the highest level. And he just said he's advising CEOs when he talks to them to ask a simple question when they talk to people. Are you able to bring your best self to work? It's funny, the power of one simple question and do it with, all, you know, a diverse audience, do it with all kinds of folks and, and really pay attention to what you hear because that might grab your attention. And, and you know, some of our colleagues will also remind us as the managing partner of a firm, I'm the chief diversity officer, right? So what are senior leaders doing to show that this is a priority and that this is important? And then, and then the last thing that comes to mind is, you know, for diversity to help a team perform better, the diversity has to be leveraged. You have to encourage differences of opinions. If differences of opinions or diversity is not leveraged, actually it, it can become a bad situation and cause a team to not perform well or to deteriorate. So how do you, how do we get better at leveraging diverse opinions that actually make decision-making harder, that make conversations more difficult? And I lied, Katie. I said that would be my last thing. It always starts with trust. Any team I've ever worked with, when there's a leader who really sort of seems to get it, they always say, look, this starts with trust. So we have to find ways to all learn to trust each other or trust each other more. I think CHROs need to take a stand too. Uh, they need to be a strong resource to their management teams, uh, but diversity and inclusion is not an HR project. It's a company 
project. You've got to have the CEO on board. And, and I can think of a, an example where the CEO had to be really pushed and, and finally got it. Uh, he made a big mistake before he got it, but he, he finally got it that he was responsible for diversity and inclusion in the company, mm-hmm. that he was accountable. And then, of course, he has the help of his team. And another topic that's kind of related in the sense that it's really how you plan for the future, but starting today is around succession planning. And I'm curious, uh, Keith, how you've seen this crisis change, how companies are thinking about that, whether it's creating new urgency around creating a plan or in the types of leaders that businesses want to install for the future. Well, when you have something like a global health crisis, it begins to it leads to a number of boards or management teams saying, well, geez, what happens if three or four of us got sick? So there's nothing like a good crisis to, to point out, geez, we should have been, you know, planning for this all along. And we, we, ever since, you know, the beginning of the year, we've had many organizations reach out to us to ask us for help um, with their succession planning. So, I mean, it, it isn't, it really isn't anything new, but it certainly brings it more sharply into focus and then when you start thinking about succession, you know, you're always thinking about, well, what's the success profile for senior leaders today, for example, all down through the organization? How does that need to emerge? You know, what, what will be true two or three years from now? And, you, you know, this is probably where you really want to make sure you have some universal factors that really help you select and develop the right people. And that is resilience, ability to deal with ambiguity. Um, ability to help people come to work with a sense of mission and purpose. Keith, I actually saw an example of exactly what you're talking about, where a client of ours uh, started at a, a C-level position at a multi-billion dollar company. And within his first two or three weeks, both his CEO and COO caught COVID. Mm. And so he was dealing with that and here's the brand new guy running a, a, or helping to run a company because of COVID and, and because the leaders were out of the business and luckily they both uh, uh, were fine, uh, but were both out of the business for three or four weeks. And so you do need to, you need to plan succession planning for an emergency basis, but it's also a long-term strategic tool that needs to be thought of very carefully. And once again, as I said at the beginning, you, there's things that you forget to do when you're in a crisis. This is one you should not forget. This is the other example. Succession planning is part of talent development or the other way around. And succession planning needs to be carried on. And I believe that succession planning should be part of this of the strategic planning process. And if it's ingrained in the strategic planning process, it has more chance of happening. Bob, you said diversity and inclusion isn't an HR project or initiative and, and neither is succession planning. Um, you know, leaders need to feel ownership for developing successors. And it is not an HR, it's not an HR project. And, you know, we frequently advocate that, you know, you should make part of the criteria for being promoted as you develop and leave great teams behind you. And if you want to be promoted, you have developed um, successors. And while that is often an aspirational goal for a lot of organizations. Now it seems to be more of a sort of essential for a competitive advantage, doesn't it? And Katie, I know that a lot of your audience is uh, in the world of private equity. And, and I think 
private equity firms and private equity operating firms need to make sure that their portfolio companies are doing succession planning. And maybe that means that they provide the template, but what happens if you lose a CEO? Or is the CEO that you have today, after we've gone through this crisis, this, now this has been a defining moment for a lot of people and a lot, not everybody has, has, been, uh, has measured up to it. If you have to make a change, the private equity partners ought to be watching for that and helping them with succession planning and maybe once again, looking to experts to help them with that. And on our planning call, you made a point, I believe it was you, Bob, that the person who or the leader who maybe got your company through this crisis isn't necessarily the best equipped for the future, um, which seems like tricky territory to be in. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, sure. I think if you have a leader that believes that you'll be going back to the way it was, that's a big red flag because it isn't going to be like it was. Uh, and or you're not going to take advantage of everything that we've learned in this in this crisis. What's the uh, saying? The crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And and we have learned so much during the last uh, six to eight months that we need to take forward. And I think leaders need to take that into account and take stock of where are we going now? What's next? And what have we learned? Right. I've heard I've heard a few of our clients say. What are we learning we need to get better at? If you're not asking that question right now, you're already late in the game. So I want to end by talking about resources and what middle market companies need most right now. What recommendations do you both have for organizations that are taking stock of the current moment and considering what resources they need to work effectively? Let's go to you first, Bob. First thing that comes to mind is to, during this crisis, this might sound silly, but pause to actually reflect on what's working, what's not working, where do we have the skills, where don't we have the skills. Going back to the talent planning, if we have a gap, is there somebody that we can bring on to our team that can help us? If it's something that's temporary, maybe we need to bring in an interim leader or an expert, a coach, like somebody from Vantage, or um, experts in succession planning, like we've talked about before, if it's for a temporary need. But the main thing, the main point is stop and pause and reflect. Where are we, where are we going, and what are the skill sets that we need? Yeah, just to build on that, Bob, um, Peter Drucker always used to talk about uh, when you're in the middle of something as profound as what we're in the middle of in 2020, you have to ask, is this an aberration or is this the new normal? Because if you don't get that right, then you're probably not going to make a good decision. So it's really helpful to just sort of ask, what has changed? Um, what, what do we think we've learned? I think everyone agrees that we're not going to go back to where we were. And then what decisions need to begin to get made? And one very practical example is around real estate. We've seen a number of organizations just divest of their, of their real estate they waited too long to switch to a remote workforce, like most, like many organizations have. I mean, there's no, there's no crime in that. And then they realized the time to, to move is now. So that's just a very basic example. All right. Well, we'll close there. It has been so great to talk with you both again. Bob and Keith, thanks for joining me on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to doing a round three again at some point in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. 
Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.